where four teaching friends from across the country who've discovered that if you don't laugh, you cry and lose sight of your why. I'm Retta. I'm Deanne. I'm Tracy. And I'm Kathy. And we teach so hard. You know what's really hard? Fostering a culturally responsive classroom. Welcome to part two of our four-part series. Welcome to the second episode of a four-part series on fostering a culturally responsive classroom. Each episode will focus on one aspect of creating your own culturally responsive classroom. Today, we're talking about how culturally responsive teaching encourages student motivation and learning. Culturally Mm -hmm. responsive teaching is a pedagogy that recognizes the importance of including students' cultural references in all aspects of learning, and basically, it's teaching diverse learners. And there's a lot of um, characteristics to a culturally responsive teaching um, in your classroom, and we talked about it in the part one of this series, but we're just going to kind of recap for you today. So one of the the characteristics is that there's a positive perspective with parents and families. And you communicate high expectations to all your students so they strive to do the best that they can do. And learning within the context of culture, it's not just having an international luncheon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I and, love, and but... <laughs> student-centered instruction also. Yes. And it's culturally mediated instruction, and that means that you're incorporating and integrating diverse ways of knowing and understanding. You're, you're recognizing that every, not everyone shows their learning in the same way. Mm-hmm. And to reshaping the curriculum where it should be integrated, interdisciplinary, meaningful, and student-centered. And start to think about yourself as a facilitator instead of as a director or um, as the person who holds the secret and the key to the secret of life. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. Boy, do I ever. Boy, I'd have the life by the, by the tail, wouldn't we? Um, so, yeah, think of yourself as a facilitator. So... There's a researcher, Dr. Raymond Witkowski, who developed a four-part motivational framework for culturally responsive teaching, and we're going to talk about that framework today. So let's get started. So Dr. Witkowski is the author of Enhancing Motivation to Learn. And he talks about four conditions that need to occur for learners to be motivated. And I love how he organized this. There are four motivational conditions. And as soon as I read this, I was like, ooh, this is good stuff. So let's talk about the four, ladies. So when you start your lesson... Well, first of all, <laughs> we're so excited. Uh, to establish inclusion... <laughs> Right. Inclusion meaning a learning environment where students feel included and capable and respected and accepted and connected. I mean, all those things we want happening, not just during a lesson, but just the feel of our classroom, like we talked about last last time. Here is the place to probably um, talk about like the, the five pillars. You know, we have five pillars, the eight pillars of character or seven pillars of characters. <laughs> well, there's five pillars mm-hmm. of a motivating teacher expertise. So we have to know what we're teaching about 
enthusiasm, if we're not you know, excited about what we're teaching, our kids are certainly not going to be, empathy, mm-hmm. clarity, <laughs> and cultural responsiveness. So ding, 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 exactly what we're talking about today. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then developing attitude and keeping that attitude throughout the lesson, we want to create a favorable disposition about the experience that we're creating with our kids. Um, we want to show how it might be relevant personally to them. We want to provide choice, which also is a big, um, goes a long way towards developing a positive attitude. And we want to have that positive attitude towards the subject. And I know as teachers and, okay, facilitators, right? We all have that subject that inwardly we groan when it's time to teach um, because it might be hard for us or it might be, it's just not our favorite. It's not our niche, whatever it is. But but we can't ever let them see the whites of our eyes in that way. Right. <laughs> we have, to have that positive <laughs> attitude because we're helping them cultivate a relationship with that, with the content. So we have to, our, our attitude is a model for what they will do. Yes. Yes. Definitely. It is. Well, you also need to yeah, en- I am. enhance. <laughs> were you finished with that? Okay. <laughs> You need to enhance meaning throughout the lesson by creating challenging learning experiences that also include the learner's values, perspectives, mm-hmm. past experiences, emotions, and goals. And it's huge. Really and it's a kids. big one. You know, brain-based learning tells us that the way our brains learn is we, that's why schema is so important. We have to have prior knowledge for us to really cement our learning. We have to be able to hook it into something that we already know. And so when you're enhancing meaning in your lessons as a teacher, that's what you're doing. You're creating those hooks for kids. You're you're helping them dig through what they already know and go, aha, this is like, it's huge. Right, to make those connections. Mm-hmm. And I love, Deanne, how you said too, that challenging learning experiences, mm-hmm. right? We want our kids to be stretched. We want them, I mean, that's where the learning comes in. Um, and I think that's, that's the part so exciting Productive to me. Productive struggle. Yes. Yes. And then Mm -hmm. there's engendering competence, creating the understanding that students are effective in learning and something they value. And this relates to adult learners being self-directed, responsible for their own lives, pragmatic. They want to learn something that's relevant and useful, meaningful to their current lives or immediate futures. Being competent at something they value is closely related to that transfer of knowledge from the learning environment to the performance environment. And the relationship between competence and self-confidence is very It really important. is. I think, too, um, you know, when you think about yourself at the end of a lesson that you've taught and you ask your learners to reflect, okay, what did you learn? How has this changed you? And if they can't answer that it's changed them or they can't find it, you have to find a way to help them answer that. Um, they need to see right. the importance of it because if they can't answer that question, they haven't yet seen the importance. Well, and I think that line that you said, Retta, about being competent at something they mm-hmm. value, right? So many times I think we just throw facts at kids or things that are in our standards without actually taking the extra time to connect it to why it's important. And that'll be the difference between them remembering it in the future mm-hmm. versus you know remembering it for a test. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about those four conditions. What does that look like in your day-to-day lessons and how do you show them? So let's let's talk about specifics. 
So ladies, four, four of those, that's a big one, right? Four of these conditions that need to be. So thinking about establishing inclusion and developing attitude and enhancing meeting and engendering the, the competence and having your students feel that, how do you do that in your room? What's, what's one thing you do? Well, this is something I talked about in the last episode, um, establishing your learning community and building that before you even start to teach or at any time during the year that you feel like mm -hmm. starting it um, helps everyone to feel included and enthusiastic and, and safe about what they're, they're going to be learning. And as a teacher, you have to show that yourself through, you know, empathy. Uh, if they have an issue, you want to discuss it with them, you know, maybe speak with them individually um, to help any behavior problems or discomfort that they might be feeling about about anything. And once you're able to do that and they know that you care about them, you know, you've got them. So that right. That Nobody cares too. how much, you know, right. until they right. know how much you know. That's right. You know, well, and I was thinking about, yeah. no, go, go ahead, Tracy. <laughs> We're so polite when we can't see. <laughs> Um, I was thinking, you know, I, I really try to focus, and this is where I'm still always learning the enhancing meaning as well as the developing attitude, because I've noticed in certain lessons, kids are so engaged. And then my, you know, students years and years later will come back and say, remember when we did such mm -hmm. and such. And I always have to think about what made that particular lesson or unit so memorable and how can I then apply that whatever it was to something new. Um, and so I'm mean, just an example of that is like, I'm in California and we studied the California gold rush. And we usually do this whole simulation where they are, they form mining companies and then they learn information and they have to um, go through experiences with kind of like monopoly mm -hmm. chance cards where they, they go through what we call fate cards and they go through these experiences, both positive and negative to experience the lives of minors and the lives mm -hmm. of minority minorities in the gold fields. And that literally every single student for years and years and years have come back yeah. and say, remember, do you still do the gold rush? And, and so it's made me think in other parts of my curriculum, how could I, how could I get them to experience the same yeah. things that they felt they were doing in that mm -hmm. simulation? So I think just, you know, enhancing meaning through, mm -hmm. uh, through creating those learning experiences. Kathy, I, I, I kind of uh, agree with that, really. I don't know if it's exactly the same thing, but when I was teaching ancient history, which can be so dry, um, I try to give them some information that they would never <laughs> know that value. might be gory or just something that's just going to catch their attention. Yeah, because yeah, those yep. are the stories yep. that I remember I when I was learning history. You know, I've right? been playing around in the discourse <laughs> puddle. That's where I've been in my classroom. And <laughs> teaching kids how to talk to each other, how to have an independent um, academic conversation is something that we've been working on. And mm. one of the most powerful strategies that I've been using with my kids is I've, well, it's two. The first one is, is that when someone says something to you or as part of the discussion, before you can add your thinking, you must paraphrase what they said. So it starts with, yeah. oh, so, so, it starts out with yeah. so what I hear you saying mm -hmm. is, and then they repeat what they heard. 
Sounds like a therapy. But you know what? (laughs) Kids reported, I did like a little survey over the course of a week of doing this and kids reported that it really made them feel valued because it, they felt like the person who Mm. listened got them, you know, they were, they weren't just shouting out what they think they were saying what they heard. And then the second strategy that I taught them is after they're done speaking, before they can speak again, they need to turn to someone else and they need to say their name and they need to say, Alyssa, what do you think? So they're actually acknowledging and them And they're by including name. them in the conversation. Oh, yeah, and yeah. sometimes if they find, they've yeah. some of them in their discussion groups, we call them conversation clubs, have gotten to a point now where they can turn and they can realize that three people are monopolizing the conversation and they can turn to, to two of the other quieter kids and say, with by name, what do you think, Lily? And invite them to talk. So it's kind of where we're at. It's what we've been focusing on. And and what I've seen by doing that is that kids are feeling included and and they're invested because all of a sudden they they have something to say and people are listening and and they have a voice and their teacher. I even said to them, I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to ask the first thing I want you to think about. And then I'm just going to sit here. And boy, is that hard to do. But What great life skills you're teaching them, Tracy. But you know, it's what's, but again, that whole listening piece as a teacher, I heard things Mm -hmm. in reading groups I never would have heard had I managed that conversation like I usually do. Like I learned more about their comprehension. Right. So, uh, how many kids are in a conversation? Um, Two to four. Mm-hmm. Two to four kids, and then are do you use them as you would normally use partners, or is it more structured? Um, they have moves. I've had lessons that I've taught them every step of the way, and they have moves, conversation moves. And I have like I'm at the point now where we've got posters and I've got tents up, and they have a tent in front of them to help. Right, um, but I don't, oh my gosh, we have to blog about. I press. will. It's coming, and I also have. Um, A reflective tool that they use, which is um, on a continuum of conversation, where do I think I fell in terms of conversation skills at the end of this? And then the last part is, how did my thinking change because of the conversation? And if my thinking didn't change, what does that mean? Oh my gosh, I love this. And so I've just found, it just, kids are so much more motivated because... Oh, she cares about what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and they know that and they the kids are, are listening to each other. So to that's, that's great. And it too. totally, I feel like, enhances yeah. that meaning because yes. they come to the table with some meaning made, right, from a learning situation. But now we're talking about, well, how does, now we're going to challenge what you believe about that math problem or about the explorers and how they treated Native Americans or how, you know, we're going to challenge what you think now because you're going to hear other people's points of view. So has this evolved into all areas of your curriculum or do you only use it really structured like this? It's evolving into all areas now. Um, So my school is a visible thinking school. So um, we follow Ron Richard and Mark Church and the Project Zero's work out of Harvard. And 
And so much of what we were doing with those thinking routines happened to be get kind of paper, paper, pencil kind of stuff. Um, and we kind of had this aha, this, this time of, you know, this is discourse. We're missing the boat here. This is discourse. We need to be talking about this as well as recording our thinking on paper. We need to be talking. And so it's kind of in an evolutionary kind of path right now in our building and in my classroom. And I love how it's actually teaching Mm -hmm. listening skills as well. It's awesome. It is. I'm taking notes as we're talking right now. (laughs) Exciting. Bradas, what are some ways that you've you've kind of incorporated (laughs) these four into your teaching? Look at I'm doing a move that I taught my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I find, uh, what you <laughs> talked about and what I've talked about previously, providing what I used to call a, call, mm-hmm. a conversational opportunity as much as you can. And so you provide it through your reading groups. Um, I would provide it through, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you would also, I'm sure, through co- uh, collaborative learning, um, through more meetings and if you can't have a morning meeting move it to another time of day have some sort of a class meeting and give kids opportunities to try these conversational moves that you that you've modeled for them and that you've suggested for them um and and i think all of that you know just Absolutely. continues to build the more opportunities so, that ladies, you provide go ahead go ahead oh no no, no. i was just making me think um about your conversation club. Sorry, I'm still back there. Um, how, because it's so hard for a lot of our kids to yeah. sustain conversations. Um, and also, as we were talking about mm-hmm. being culturally inclusive earlier, and like, you know, certain times making eye contact is not necessarily this universal skill right. or universal acceptance um, to be making eye contact. And I think I've talked about this in the past, but I, I, like as I like to observe uh-huh. my kids and I call eavesdrop in on them, um, you know, as they're having their conversations, I like to take right. photos Whoa, of just right. what I'm looking yeah. at. You know, we talk about what does a good conversation look like, sound like, and then I put them up and we talk about them as in, what do you notice is happening here? So it could be, you know, mm-hmm. so-and-so is leaning in, so-and-so yes. is nodding their head or, you know what I mean? Like, but to yeah. visually show it because so many times we talk right. at our kids and they, you know, they tune us out or whatever, but when they actually like see that. photos of what's going on, what's happening here, what's not happening here. I think that might be a, something to tie into that's a great that's a, converse, that's your a conversation. Great idea. So that is, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes for your EL learners, what can come out of yes. that too is, um, like I, I have, like that. I have a couple kids this year who are not in our newcomer program, you know, and they've, they are fluent English speakers, but their oral language is really, when we look at their WIDA scores is really, um, really, really low. Um, and they really have problems expressing themselves. And so the, the other thing that I've done is giving a child a chance to organize their thinking before they come to conversation club whether that means a drawing or a journal entry or, you know, because not everyone can think extemporaneously, um, especially those EL learners, they might need help organizing their thinking before they sit down to, to share. 
before they do that. Right. Yeah. To be beforehand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lots of ideas. <laughs> Makes sense. And Kathy, the they kids. They do. And the funny thing say, is, Kathy, the because they know I do this now. I mean, I do it throughout the day, but because they know I do it, if they even notice me kind of coming toward them or they immediately, they know what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> so mm-hmm. They start to face each other. They start to lean in toward each other. Uh, you know, so it's it's not quite natural for a lot of them yet, but I'm hoping that as we practice this more, you know, think about adults, right? Which adults don't, you can tell when they're not paying attention to you. You know, I'm wondering also, Kathy, if um, That's true. In, incorporating video clips that you would then discuss yes. as a whole group later, yes. you know. Willing participants, would you for mind if um, oh my I gosh, videotaped they would love that. your session today? And, and then, yes, you know, I'm going to do that. The thing yes, that yes, comes yes. to mind while we're talking about this, like the whole start of the conversation club and how I started calling it that, I read, I was teaching a college course um, at a university last semester, and I read this article that I was bringing to my students. And I started thinking it was about how a woman um, ditched reading logs, right? And one of the things she did was instead of doing reading logs, Uh she just asked her kids to read every night. Mm -hmm. And with the understanding that on Friday they would have their conversation club and they would have to come to the table and share their book that they were reading with someone in their group. And as soon as she did that, so added that social aspect, the engagement soared. So, yeah. So I've done the same thing. Um, I, I wasn't doing reading logs too. because I couldn't find anything that I liked. And I thought, God, I don't want to cripple well, them. I'm just, you know. Sure. But I implemented that in January. I asked them to start reading at home. We talked about what conversation clubs are and how we were changing it from what it had been. And I also implemented a writing stamina journal. And um, they write every night and they read every night. That is their homework. And they come on Friday. They can either choose to share what they wrote or they can choose to share what they were reading. To Well, to their conversation club. To a partner. And I have kids coming in with, you know, multiple pages written of stories. I've got kids coming Um, in with big, thick chapter books that they're into, and they get to sit and talk, and they're so excited. Do you find it when you first started this, Tracy, that some of the kids That's would, sla- well, would be slackers? You know, like they don't read because they don't I left have a little to fill part out. We have a, um, assignment planners. Except for maybe Thursday night. And so we fill it out at the end of every night so they know what they have to do. If they have anything to do for homework, it's in there. And they show it to their parent. And their parent is supposed to initial it and bring it back. And then I check it again. Um and so all we do is where it says reading and I, t- and I set the bar really low and I'm very aware that it's really low. I put 15 minutes of reading and I, and I have them put a line next to it and I tell them, look, if you want to get credit for this, because it's, I give leadership loot out in my classroom. If you want to get credit for this, cause that's your job, um, to have your mom when dad, when they initial the planner, have them initial right there in the line. And, and, that's what they do. And then there are some that don't. And I just say, okay, just know conversation clubs coming. Mm-hmm. 
yep, I know. I'm going to read more tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Right. So that peer pressure and so, helps. And it's also time management. I mean, that's they're going to middle school next year. They need that. If you don't have as much time one night, you do it the next. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And and I think and hopefully there will be times when they get and I so let them set goals for themselves with the writing. The writing is bare minimum fifteen minutes. And I said, you know, what's your weekly goal for writing stamina? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? You decide. I'm just asking for fifteen minutes. And I have kids who are like, no, I'm going to do twenty five. No, I want to write for twenty. I'm making a graphic novel. I wrote for thirty every night. Right. Right. <laughs> Well, and you're building those <sighs> habits in them. All yeah. right, ladies. Yeah. Let's, it's time. What is your number one tip for making your classroom culturally responsive and <laughs> motivating? Let's. Okay, I'm pretty sure I said this before, but this is my number one tip for this episode, Mm -hmm. to offer conversational opportunities wherever, whenever you can. Weave them in it throughout the day so that kids feel like their voice is heard. And I was just thinking, well, of course, now I'm going to incorporate conversation clubs. Mm So that, that, I'm so excited is, about this. You know, but I remember making sure uh, my mom at one point when I was lacking confidence, I was heard. a teenager, and I remember her saying, fake it till you make it. And you might not be excited about teaching writing. <laughs> you might not be excited about handling the darkling beetles, but fake it till mm-hmm. you make it, right? It, beyond that, we all have those those days and those lessons where it's just crap. And that's how we feel. <laughs> Kids will respond to what you put out in the universe. So right. put some excitement out into the universe and fake it. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, listeners, yeah, gosh, I was this is such a fun some, episode. Something similar but to everything. All of these have but, been fun you know, so be far. We're hoping show enthusiasm, show that you care about it. This is all we have time for today, but we're hoping that you enjoyed our second episode as much as we have. Students. We always enjoy them um, in our fostering a culturally responsive lesson series. What'd you say? We're like our big. We're our biggest fans. <laughs> Make your own fun, right, Tracy? Right, Tracy? Exactly. Make your own fun. Be sure to check out our blogs in the show notes. And if you like what you hear, give us a shout out. Leave a comment. Give us some stars on your listening platform. But be sure to join us next week for our Building a Culturally Responsive Classroom Part 3, Changing Attitudes. Dun, 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 dun. Because you teach so hard. Ha, 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 ha.